So as I mentioned on the front end, uh, we're finishing up this sermon series we've been doing uh, called Rooted, where we've just started to address several different areas of our life that, that take up so much of our, um, of our energy, of our anxiety, of our planning, of the time we spend thinking about uh, how, how to move our life forward. We've talked uh, through this series things around marriage and singleness and our vocations and work uh, and parenting. And today, uh, maybe you're catching a theme, but today we're going to finish this whole series. It's been a seven-week series, and instead of just hoping you would catch on to what we're doing by this, for six weeks we've talked about these functional areas of our life, and this the seventh week of this series, the last week of the series, we're going to talk about rest. We're, we're going to talk about rest today. And so here's why we're going to do this today. So it might sound like an odd topic to talk about. It's not something that registers as maybe something that's urgent or important to talk about. It's not something that much of, much of the people in our world are talking about. But if you've walked through this series with us, and if you're trying to take Jesus seriously, what can end up happening over time is that you recognize, okay, even through this series, they've talked to me about my vocation. They've talked to me about my singleness. They've talked to me about my marriage. They've talked to me about parenting. They've talked to me about what it means to be a disciple. They've talked to me about the involvement in the church. And you're probably holding all of these things saying, man, I feel like I've been given 47 things to do and I'm terrible at all of them, right? And I'm trying to walk with all of it. I'm trying to hold all of it. And I feel a bit clumsy like a UPS delivery guy who's got too many boxes in his hands, right? That's how I feel sometimes when it's when I'm trying to navigate forward in the Christian life. But, but hang with me, because if you walk through this, the response can be, so what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to begin? Sometimes that can feel as though the daunting reality of the Christian life. But, but here's what I want you to hear today. In the midst of all of that, it's really true that Jesus is inviting you to take a breath. It's really true that Jesus is inviting you to breathe deep and to understand who he is in your midst. And so we're going to be talking today again about rest. And if you're, going to, if you're willing to hear me today, if you're willing to run with me today, not, not me so much, but because of what God's, God's word is going to bring forward, I really believe that today could be a game changer for some of you. Like, I really believe that today could reorient some of the way you think about life, you think about home, you think about work, you think about relationships, and the way you think about even yourself. I really believe that today has the chance of being a game changer for, for some of you in this. So I want to begin our time by reading Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and, uh, and then we'll jump in from there. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. Exodus chapter 20. In verse 8, this is the fourth commandment that falls in the course of the Ten Commandments. And the voice of Jesus our King through his prophet Moses speaks like this. Exodus 20, beginning in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it... You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." This is the word of God to us. A few years ago, uh, a journalist and author, A.J. Jacobs, wrote a book called um, The Year of Living Biblically. 
Uh, A.J. Jacobs is a Jewish atheist, and he lives his life as sort of a, a human guinea pig of sorts, right? Like you may have heard of him before. He's got several books where what he does is he takes on a new endeavor, he takes on a new experience, and he does it for an entire calendar year, and he takes his experiences and he turns them into journal entries, which turn into books. And this is one of his books he wrote a few years ago, The Year of Living Biblically. And so he set out in this book to take on every command he could find in Scripture and apply it to his life literally. And so he begins the book with the premise, what if a modern-day American applied all of the Bible literally? And so every time he saw a command in the Bible, he tried the best he could to apply it again to his life in a literal sense. So he wore Scripture on the on the forehead, on his forehead, he kind of attached it to his temples. He took the Old Testament Nazarite vow and he didn't cut his hair or his beard for the entire year. He went around trying to find and to meet widows in New York City and to give them money. He wore garments only of a single fabric from the Levitical law. He would even try to hide out in Central Park, New York City, and he would throw stones at, sta- at Sabbath breakers. And eventually he thought, this might get me arrested. I'll settle instead for pebbles, right? I'll settle instead for pebbles. And at the end of his attempt in the book, he wasn't trying to actually obey God or submit to him at all. It was an experiment for him. The book is meant to show the way the Bible, honestly, in his view, is irrelevant to our lives today and shouldn't be literally applied at all. Now, here's the deal. I don't agree with A.J. Jacobs, and that's not a surprise. I'm not, I don't agree with him on his view of the Bible, on faith, or the practice he took. And it may seem on many levels that it would be easy to dismiss him and to mock this and go, that's ridiculous, let's move on. We are proud evangelicals, right? He took many of the commands completely out of context. However, here's what I find fascinating. Even though many of us in the room approach Scripture from a completely different angle, we take a completely different approach than he would to the Word of God, even though we approach it all different altogether, as followers of Jesus, very often there are times in our life where the outcome of our faith and our approach to Scripture actually lands us in the same place. Let Let me tell you what I mean. For many of us, there's a tendency to approach the Bible as a list of rules, Right? So we'll come to the Bible, and how, predominantly how we see it is a list of rules, or we see it uh, as, a, as a scattered uh, sampling of ancient stories or poems or theology lessons, but mostly a list of rules, right? That, that we approach the Bible in this way. Some of us would come to the Bible with a mentality of strict adherence to those rules, doing our very best to keep them, and we pride ourselves on our morality Or we come to the Bible on the other hand and we decide to judge what's there in this list of rules and take out what we don't like or take out what makes us uncomfortable but apply to our lives what's convenient and gives us a sense of calm and reassurance. But the problem with both those approaches is it lands us just like Jacob. We bypass God's commands and the heart of God himself in his commands with the relationship he's offering to us. And so yet as his people, his commands... We know this, right? We've talked about this recently. They're not optional for us. The commands of God aren't optional for us any more than food and water are optional or negotiable for us to stay alive and live healthy. His commands are actually life to us. And so I start this way this morning because we've got to understand increasingly and enjoy this about God, that when he speaks, 
He's trying to form us as his freed people. When God speaks to us in his word, he's not speaking to us to somehow be a cosmic killjoy and further repress us as his restricted people. That's not God's heart. That's not God's intent. That's not what's happening in his commands. And here's what's crazy when it comes to the fourth command on rest. We live in a moment where being a workaholic is not seen remotely as sinful. It's almost seen as virtuous, right? As, as something to aspire to. At, at worst, it might be seen as a character flaw, but for the most part, it's a commendable trait, something to aspire to if we're ever gonna have success. So let's just work and let's work hard and let's climb the ladder, let's get noticed, let's increase our platform, let's increase our prestige. Think about how many times you hear this response to the question of how you're doing. Man, I'm doing good. I've just been busy lately. Think about how many times you hear that response, the simple question. No one ever aspires to say, you know, lately I've just been really bored. There's been lots of soft pants and Netflix in my life. In fact, I just upgraded my Hulu account to commercial free. I've been pounding some Ben and Jerry's lately and it's been awesome. Like no one says that even if it's true, that person would look back at you and go, man, I'm good, I've just been busy lately, <laughs> right? Like tell me that's not true. It's a virtue. Busyness has become like a badge of honor that we wear. I'm busy, I'm important. People are into me, people need me, right? It's like a sign of significance. And so if there's any commandment in our current culture that we would see of the Ten Commandments as optional or as avoidable, it would be this one, the Fourth Commandment. And it's not because we don't like rest. We all go, man, wouldn't that be nice, right? It's not that we don't like rest that we see as optional or avoidable, but we love work. We love achievement. We love honor. We love promotion and it's often the reason we bypass the fourth command because we don't understand how it can fit in with what we love so much, right? And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna work through the fourth command in Exodus 20 today, the fourth command of the 10 commandments. And here's how we're gonna shape the time. We're just gonna look at the command, understand its context and, and what God was saying with it. The second thing I want us to do is let the command read us. So first, we're going to read the command, and then we're going to let the command read us and sort of examine us. And then lastly, I want us to go, so what? So, so what do we do with it, right? That, that's, the, that's the shape today. So look back at Exodus 20 and verse 8. Let's read the command. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's a day of Sabbath unto the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant. He even extends it to animals, your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. Now, when Israel received this word from God, they had been freed recently in Exodus 14. So here we are six chapters later. Exodus 14 captures the event and the song we sang earlier where he split the sea and they walked through it to be freed from the Egyptians. 
Six chapters later, they're now sort of freed from the Egyptians. They're not breathing down on them. They have a space to sort of breathe and to rest under their new Savior, Redeemer, King, and Lord. And he begins to speak to them this new set of ordinances that's going to shape them as a freed people. They had 400 years of slavery. Track with this. When they received this word, 400 years of slavery, God had taken ex-slaves and made them his free people. Now imagine how strange this command would have sounded to them. It would have sounded totally bizarre. All they had known for 10 generations was a master who owned them and defined them by what they could produce. Pharaoh. That was the only way they had been defined and seen as having worth. Their worth was determined by what they could do for Pharaoh. They had no days off. They had no relief. Bricks without straw. They were only so good as what they could throw to the bottom line for their master. That was all that they were worth. And so can you feel the shock they would have experienced when the one who just split the sea for them purchased them, ran them out of Egypt with an onslaught of plagues, comes to them, says, I'm your new master, I'm your new king, and he then then comes down and says, oh yeah, and I want you to stop working. Not only is this their new king, but it's God himself telling them that you're not a slave anymore. You're not a slave anymore but you're my people, and he's telling them for an entire day to stop working and to rest. He's giving them a snow day every week, right? The stores are closed, and no one is out on the roads. This is not just like permission. Hey, feel free, and there's no guilt not to work one day a week. It's not like that. It's not permission God's giving them. It's a command. It's a mandate. Under his final authority, there's no obligations on this day, no pressures on this day, no burdens on this day, but it's actually a directive to play and to be with friends and to take a nap. Think about how crazy this would have sounded to them. It would have been foreign. It would have been hard for them to believe. And we've said this before, just because God had removed them from slavery doesn't mean slavery was taken out of their hearts. Ten generations, 400 years, discipled into a slave-like mentality. Slavery was still present in their hearts. This would have sounded like God was speaking all of a sudden a foreign language other than Hebrew. God was showing them and he's showing us that his kingship, here's the whole purpose of the fourth commandment. His kingship is like nothing else. His rule and his reign over us is altogether different. His demands are not burdensome. By definition, his demands, his commands are burden lifting. Like, isn't that crazy? His commands are not, I want to place another burden on you, Israel. By definition, his commands are actually, I want to take burdens off of you. You see how functionally opposite we see God's voice toward us. Okay, so we've read the command. It would have sounded strange. God is actually telling them to do something that they've been programmed the opposite for 400 years. 
Now, I want to bring this command into 2019. Let this command read us for a second. So I don't know how you're hearing this. If you're anything like me, as I studied this week, chances are, when I started to dive into this, I thought, that's fun Bible knowledge, (laughs) right? Like, that's fun Bible knowledge. It's a good little tidbit. The church will really like that. Maybe this is just a story abstracted from us by a few thousand years, something that would sound nice, right? But has no bearing on us today. It's not really practical for us today. And this is where, if we took this approach, we would arrive at the same conclusion as A.J. Jacobs, right? (laughs) That the Bible is just not something to be taken literal because it can't make sense anymore. God certainly can't be asking us as his people in 2019, the modern world that has so many demands on work, he can't be actually making us do this, right? There's family demands and responsibilities. There's just no time to allow for something like this. I'm just not the kind of person who can sit around, you might say, right? This doesn't make any sense to me. I've got to always be doing something. This is a nice and sentimental thing that God did for the Israelites. He's a nice God. He let slaves off the hook. It was good for Israel, but I can't do this, right? We're busy people. We fill our weeks with work and more work. We are busy like crazy, right? We're busy like crazy. And here's what's even more wild beyond that. We fill our weeks with work and more work, and we fill our weekends with play and more play, I'm busy, I'm, I'm too busy at work. Well, I'm busy, I'm too busy at the lake. I'm just busy all the time. I'm busy. Like, I totally get this too. This sermon has been preached to me in my heart and in my chest all week, and I'm just dragging you with me, right? To the point where we're so busy that very often you have people go on vacation, and what do they say? I need to take a vacation from my vacation, <laughs> The Sabbath is not about like vacation. We're busy people. So here's what ends up happening. By and large, we're people who hate silence. We're people who hate silence. We fill our calendars with work and more work. We fill our weekends with vacation and play and more play. We don't like what surfaces in us when things get quiet. So we'll drown it out. We don't want to face our fears. We don't want to be reminded by our anxieties. We don't want to have an ongoing feedback loop of that inner dialogue that surfaces things in us when the noise is turned off. And so for many of us, right, like our phones are the last thing that we look at at night before we go to bed, and they're the first thing we look at in the morning when we wake up. Maybe, just maybe, there's something in this glowing screen that can numb me from my pain and give me energy for a new day. I know there's all kinds of good reasons why someone might take sleep aids. But in our present day, sleep aids are a growing and growing addiction for many simply because they can't unplug and they can't turn off and they don't, know, they don't like what's present there, so just give me something that will numb me even medicinally so I can pass out until the next day comes when I can just numb myself more with work and more work and play and more play. And so if we're not binging on work, which is present for a lot of us, if we're not binging on work, out of a fear to cover over of being incompetent, 
Instead, we then sometimes waffle over to binging on pleasure and leisure out of a fear of being a failure and a fear that we might already be a failure. And so we're binging on work, we're binging on pleasure and leisure, and we're exhausted, huh? We're exhausted. And so the reason we tend to live in a continual exhausted state of mind isn't because of all the responsibilities we have to do. And this is what shocked me this week, and here's what I just submit to you. The reason you constantly feel exhausted is not because of all the demands and responsibilities that are swirling about your life that you believe are attached to you. It's because of something I read this week from Pastor Tim Keller that I thought was so profound. He calls it the work under the work. Many of us are busy with what he calls the work under the work. And so on the surface, here's here's what this means. On the surface, it might appear that our jobs are so demanding, while what's more true is that our jobs are just a mask to cover over what's really demanding. The incessant need that you have, that I have, to be significant, important, to be needed, the, the work that we, ha- we feel that we have to do to prove ourselves to those around us who said we couldn't. The work that we feel like we have to do in our work to validate ourselves as competent to compensate for our deep insecurities. The work that we feel like we have to do in our work to shut the mouth of an absent father whose ghost we feel like we fight all the time, even though he's absent, we're still trying to prove to him out there wherever he is, I did it. The work under the work that we do through our work to so desperately win the blessing of the Father. The work that we do under our work to spite an overbearing mother who nothing we ever did was ever good enough. The work under our work that we do in our work to earn the applause and the approval of other people in order to convince ourselves that the inner voice of shame isn't as true as we fear it may be. So I think even for me, I just wanna confess and admit, I'd love to tell you that the reason I got into ministry is because I love Jesus and the church so much, it was just a fire in my bones. God has used it, and it's not as though I don't love Jesus or the church, but the longer I've been in this thing, I recognize that so much of what was tangled and webbed in there was this, was these daddy wounds where I just thought, I'm gonna prove to someone that I can be a man respectable and worthy and have integrity, and I'm going to be a man of God. And so the reason that God commands this and the reason that God speaks to this is because so often we look to our jobs for security. We look to our jobs um, that, to gain a sense of self through all of our pro- t- productivity and success. Look, look at how productive I am. Look at how successful I am. Now I have a sense of self. We look to our jobs to give us stability because if I don't become something great, then what do I have to fall back on when and if the people around me bail? Right? The work under the work is what we're so often busy trying to silence with our jobs. Right? So the reason that God commands this, through the fourth command, God's not worried that you're not gonna make margin for yourself to have fun if he doesn't command it. 
He's not worried about you making margin for fun. He knows that we love ourselves too much in our brokenness not to want to have fun. The reason that he commands this is because there is a rest that all of us need that hits us at a deeper level than any nap can provide. You and I are too exhausted to take a nap, right? You and I actually need a rest that no personal day from work can recoup for us. You and I need a rest that no vacation to the most desirable destination that's gonna put you in even more debt can actually give to you. You and I need a rest that no work-life balance guru can provide for you. We need a soul-level rest. If there's work under our work that's busying us, we need a rest under our rest. A rest that addresses the longings and anxieties that drive our work. And this has everything to do with Jesus. And I'm not just saying that because we're a Christian church and this is a Christian sermon. This has everything to do with Jesus. Look at Matthew 28, Matthew 11, 28. It'll be on the screens. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my teaching, right? Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so Jesus is not talking about a nap here. What I think is so fascinating about this is Jesus, when he talks about this to an exhausted group of people, he's not pointing you to a resting technique. Right? Here's how you do it. You zen out, you put on some, uh, some instrumental music, you know, maybe a little bit of I can only imagine or something. He's not pointing you to a technique. He points you to himself. All of you who are weary and burdened, where do you go? He says, come to me. L listen to the voice of rest. Listen to the Prince of Peace. Here's what he's saying, translation in Matthew 11. Stop trying to compensate for your sins. Stop. You can't compensate for your sins, and I'm not asking you to. My blood is more than enough for your guilt, and it drowns your inner murmur of shame. He's not talking, he's talking about a rest that announces your worth and my worth that no promotion, no raise, and no blessing could ever give to you. He's talking about a rest that says, stop performing. Stop performing. Stop waving your arms as though to get someone's attention or God's attention. Look to Jesus. You cannot have rest apart from Jesus. Most of us just hope to have a good nap that will solve all of our problems. But even then you wake up <laughs> with the same unrest you had before you laid your head down. Do you remember, do you remember the final words of Jesus from the cross? 
it is finished. It is finished. He died in our place as a, ref, as a restless orphan, estranged from the Father's presence, so that you and I could forever know the unending rest of being adopted as sons and daughters. It's finished. It's finished. Through his finished work, you and I now inherit the Father's blessing. He looks to you and he says, just right now, as you are, you are my beloved. And with you right now, I am well pleased. Not a future version of you, not a more successful version of you, not a version of you that finally cleans yourself up and gets better. Right now, where you are, you are my beloved and with you I am well pleased. Jesus is saying, come to me. Put down your worry about trying to be good enough. The Father is satisfied with you. Come to me. Stop striving for your Father's blessing like your earthly father. Your Father in heaven is crazy about you, and he will give you everything you need to deal with the wounds you carry. Come to me. Drop your politicking and drop your jockeying for significance. The Son of God was pierced for you, was raised up for you, so that you would forever have a place and position and significance in your Father's house. Okay, so... I want to step back for a second because <laughs> I can hear the objection in the room. All of that sounds really nice and good, but I still have a job. Like, I still have responsibilities. People are still expecting things from me. I've still got decisions to make. I've still got demands to, be, to, to meet. But here's what I'm trying to say with all of this Jesus stuff. Resting in Jesus doesn't mean that your job doesn't matter and that you should quit your job and just sort of, you know, like seek some sort of nirvana. Resting in Jesus doesn't mean your job doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you should stop working and get rid of all your ambition. It doesn't mean that at all. Resting in Jesus means that now you're actually free to do your job. <laughs> Because there's nothing your job can give to you and there's nothing your job can take from you that Jesus hasn't already provided for you or will provide for you. Now you can actually just do your job with excellence. Resting in Jesus means that you're now free not to work as unto man, Colossians 3, I rest in Jesus because my job doesn't give me identity. My job doesn't give me significance. My job doesn't give me platform. My job doesn't make me important. I now can work not as unto man, but as unto the Lord and worship him through my work as a lawyer or as a school teacher or as a businessman or as a mechanic or as a mom or as a dad or as an artist or a thousand of things that you might do with your time. You can now live in your vocations, liberated, not as a slave to them, but as a son of God, a daughter of God. Okay, so let's land the plane. So what do we do with this, right? Here's one of the things I just want to submit to you that just shocked me this week. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that this command, the Sabbath command in Exodus 20, is mentioned as on par and in the same breath as do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, don't lie, 
honor your father and mother. Like things that we would all look at and we'd go, yes, you get it, God, you do it, right? Get them, right? Lay out the Ten Commandments. We would all look at every single one of those things and acknowledge, yes, those things are out of bounds. They're not good for society and not good for any person. And yet the command that we would consider debating is the fourth command, right? All of a sudden we want to debate this one. And not because we want to diminish this one, but because the reason we want to debate with the fourth command is because it attacks the thing that makes us so important. This is exactly why God gives this command. The whole point of the Sabbath command is to say, listen to this, your sum total of worth is not based on what you do or what you leave undone. Your value is not based on what you bring to the table or what you're unable to bring to the table. Your worth is summed up in who God is and what he's done for you. Something that can never be taken away from you regardless of your production or lack thereof. So listen to the shout of the world right now for a second. Everything this world is shouting at you in your vocations is bigger, stronger, faster, more efficient, perform. Everything that man-made religion shouts at you, work, good deeds, more faith, less sin, perform, penance, earn it. But listen to the voice of the Father through Scripture. (laughs) Stop performing. So the world shouts at you, work and work harder. Religion shouts at you, work and work harder. The Father shouts at you, stop working. And he sent his son who announced, it is finished. Let that sink into your heart for a second. So here's a few practical thoughts on rest. This actually means you should take a 24-hour period once a week to do this. This is not ethereal. This is literal. And here's why. We're so prone to wonder. Think of the Sabbath day once a week as a Father's Day every week. It's a Father's Day every single week, a day to recenter yourself on God, who you are in Him, and hit the work He's done for you. A caveat, a Sabbath day is not the same thing as a day off. Now let me tease this one out for a second. Very likely a Sabbath day is gonna be one of your days off or your day off. But so often we typically think of a day off as another day to catch up on all the work we couldn't get done in the previous days, right? A Sabbath day is actually to stop working. Like the command even goes, hey, tell your cows not to do stuff. Like, stop. And so this is stop from things around the house, a day to play catch-up, a day of rest to unplug. Hey, try turning off your phones. Hey, hey, just maybe just try turning off your email one day. A day of rest to worship. This is primarily about worship, and here's why. We're so prone to stop worshiping. So it's a day to worship. Intentional time in the scriptures and prayer. A day to acknowledge. Here's what we're saying on the Sabbath. And for me, most weeks, because I work on Sundays, I take my Sabbath on Fridays. Here's here's what is the day to confess. I'm not the one who keeps the world running. 
I'm not the one who's bringing money to my family. I'm not the one who is meeting my needs. I'm not the one. I'm not God. That's what Sabbath is about. Finally, the Sabbath is a day to actually enjoy God's gifts. So you remember six days he created, the seventh day he rested. It wasn't like God took a nap on the first Sabbath. It was an active engagement of looking at his creation going, it is good. He enjoyed his gifts that he had given creation. And so spend time with family, with friends, cook good food, read a book, take a nap, enjoy an extended workout, whatever it is that you would do that you say, this is restful to me. This is worship. A few people in the room, I can feel itching at this. What about my growing career? If I take this serious here, there's gonna be other people around me that are gonna advance past me because they won't be stopping while I'm stopping. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe not. (laughs) I don't know what would happen to your career if you actually took God serious here. We'll leave that to God, but here's what I do know. You'll be sane. You'll be sane, and you won't be buried under a load of shame of time you wish you had spent with your wife and your kids and your friends, right? I don't know what would happen to your career, but but Jesus does, and, and he's okay with it. To come to Jesus makes a conscious decision to say, I'm not defined by my number of clients. I'm not defined by my bank account. I'm not defined by how well I'm doing. I'm not defined based on whether or not I'm an expert. Jesus has the final say over me, and the Father secures me. Breathe. For another group of people in the room, you're like, I'm in grad school. I'm a medical student. I literally can't do what you're saying. Like, I literally can't do it. Totally get it. I was once in grad school, and I was a full-time dad and full-time job and full-time husband. And I didn't have time either, but here's what it is to say. And here's where I literally ran myself into panic attacks because I neglected this command for so many years. And it came to a point of what I ultimately needed was just accountability, Like, so if you find yourself, like, doing residency as a med student, you're like, I can't do this, or you're starting a business, and you're like, I don't have anyone to help me with the workload, find someone close in your community that knows you well, that knows the end date to this season, and look at that person and say, will you help me when I come to the end of this run that I will not live the rest of my life under Sabbath? Right? The last group in the room I want to speak to, if you're a single parent, or you're a stay-at-home mom, or you have a young family, you hear this and you go, yeah, right, right? Like, my life is a continual Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence, right? <laughs> I could not obey this command. Even darkness is light to you. The bathroom is public to you, right? Like, <laughs> this is, right? It's my home. So if you're a single parent, stay-at-home mom, you are doing holy work. And I can't answer how this would exactly look for you, but it's cliche for a reason. It takes a village. It's cliche for a reason. It it actually does take a village to raise up the next generation. So pull your community in. 
Pull your community and talk about it. It doesn't mean just like offload your kids for a little while. It might mean, hey, pull community in and get some other parents around and like do play dates and like where we can breathe because there's more adult eyes on the situation or there's more people involved or maybe they do give you some time off. They offload your kids if you're a single parent. I don't know what this might mean. I don't know what all the intentional time would look like, but I think it means pulling in your community. Go, help me think about this. Help me think about this. God doesn't expect you to shut down on things just because there's more responsibilities, more demands. Get creative with this. There's so much more I want to say on that one. If you're a, if you're a single parent and you're carrying shame because of a, a cluttered house, your worth in life is not built on how well your house is kept. It's okay to leave a dirty house and just say, Jesus is my rest. It's okay. So here's where I'm done today. I know that what we're talking about is totally foreign to this world. Literally no one else in society is saying to you what we're trying to say to you, what the Bible is saying to you. Everywhere else it's be more productive, more, 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 more. Here's what I want to submit as we're done today. What if you took the fourth command serious? What if you really came to Jesus as your rest, not a lucky rabbit's foot to get something else? What if you came to Jesus and heard afresh his call? It's finished. It's finished. How would that change the way you see God? How would that change the way you understand yourself? How would that change the way you see your work? It's just my final challenge to you today. What if you took the fourth command serious? What if you actually came to Jesus as the place for your rest? And what if you heard afresh his voice? It is finished.